The first reading today is from Micah 7, 14 to 20. Shepherd your people with your staff, the flock of your inheritance, which lives by itself in a forest in fertile pasture lands. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in days long ago. As in the days when you came out of Egypt, I will show them my wonders. Nations will see and be ashamed, deprived of all their power. They will put their hands over their mouths and their ears will become deaf. They will lick dust like a snake, like creatures that crawl on the ground. They will come trembling out of their dens. They will turn in fear to the Lord our God and will be afraid of you. Who is a God like you? Who pardons sin and forgives the transgression of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be faithful to Jacob and show love to Abraham as you pledged on oath to our ancestors in days long ago. The second reading is Luke chapter 7, verses 36 to 50. When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not give me a kiss, but this woman, from the time I entered, has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Our next reading is from Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, 
Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country, who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field and when he came near the house... He heard music and dancing, so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has been um, back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, All these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This morning we are talking about forgiveness. We're talking about the statement which you can see on the Apostles' Creed in orange with the underlining, which is that I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And... um, This is specifically referring to God's forgiveness of our sins, God's forgiveness of human, the sins of human beings. Um, And uh, in the Bible, um, the the Bible talks about um, 
this kind of big concept to do with the forgiveness of sins, which is that sin is something that needs to be eradicated or removed. And, and God's forgiveness of sins is mentioned about 125 times. And then there's, on top of that, a whole lot of images which talk about this idea that we, re- we require forgiveness because sin is something that needs to be eradicated or removed. So all, almost all these biblical images that, um, uh, that I, I'm talking about is about God forgiving human beings. But the idea of humans forgiving human beings is also related to this, closely related. And many of the things we're taught, um, especially by Jesus, about humans forgiving humans is like a flow-on effect and closely tied to the idea of God forgiving human beings. And we can look at stories in the Bible of human beings feeling forgiving other human beings and get an understanding about how God works. For example, we early on in Genesis, we look at um, the story of Joseph forgiving his brothers, his jealous brothers who conspired to betray him and leave him for dead. We can read early on about Esau forgiving Jacob. In the New Testament, um, we see that Jesus commands that people forgive their fellow humans 70 times, seven, ta- seven times. And then he follows this by with a parable about forgiving debts. And Jesus says that if you are a forgiving person towards others, then you will experience forgiveness from God as well. You might remember the Lord's Prayer, um, which has the line, and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And, and a few verses later, um, Jesus says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father for, will for not forgive your sins. So you can see how the two ideas there are linked closely, humans forgiving humans and God forgiving us. Well, I want to look more closely at God's forgiveness of human beings. And look at um, some of the images that the Bible gives us because it can be hard to fathom what this is like. We can have a limited view of God's forgiveness of human beings. And as we look at these images, we will start to get a more um, clear and, and, and big picture of, of what, what God is like and who he is. So we're going to look at four main images to help us to understand. And most of these images of how um, how God forgives revolves around the idea of him getting rid of the sin in one way or another. So let's look at that. First of all, there's, um, there's a spatial, uh, there are spatial pictures. So when God forgives us, he picks up the sin and he throws it away. As our reading from Micah said, um, God throws our sin in the ocean. Uh, he says, you will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. In Isaiah 44 verse 22, um, it says that God sends a powerful forgiving wind and our sins are swept away like a cloud, like mist. In Isaiah 38 verse 17, it says he throws our sin behind his back. Um, in Colossians 2, it says, He sets our sins aside. In Hebrews 9, it says, He puts our sins away. I don't know about you, but 
some of us, I, I'm pretty not the best at throwing things away. I, I'm, if you look at my garage, you'll see lots of things that I've held on to for way too long. Old toys and I've, I've got some of my old toys, old broken suitcases, DVDs that I never watch, CDs of bands that I'm not interested in anymore. I'm not, I wouldn't say I, you know, I'm a hoarder, but I am sentimental about things that I used to have from my past. Um, and, and maybe some of us are a bit like that with our sin as well, that we're not good at letting go of the past. Perhaps we've, we've asked God for forgiveness and we still hold on to those sins now. But I want you to know that God is not like that with our sin. When he forgives us, God is like a divine Marie Kondo. Like he, he looks at our sins and he says, this does not spark joy in me anymore. And he throws it out. You know, he's, he's, he's good at getting rid of the clutter in our lives. Um, he puts it in the rubbish and he sends it to the incinerator. Your past sins might haunt you and give you a sick feeling in your stomach. And this is okay to a certain point because it's a way that God is reminding us potentially to not go back. Um, and the Bible says, you know, don't be like a dog going back to its vomit. But um, you need to know that God has forgotten about it, forgotten about your sin. He's thrown it into the ocean if he's, if he's forgiven you. Another image from the Bible is that the image of covering. So when God forgives us, he covers over our sin. Psalm 32 verse 1 says, Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. When we tidy up in a hurry, a trick of last resort that we sometimes use in our family is to throw a bank blanket over the pile, you know, um, and just shove it all in the corner and throw a blanket over, and it makes you feel a bit more tidy. Well, God does this with our sin too. He he doesn't want to look at our sin, so he just like covers it over. He says, I, he says, I forgive you, and he covers it over. Forgiveness puts our sin out of God's sight. Psalm 51 verse 9 says, This covering is a form of blotting out. It says, Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. So forgiveness is like liquid paper. It's like liquid paper. Now, for those of you who were born in the last 25 years, you won't have any idea what I'm talking about. Let me show you what liquid paper is. That's me, Michael Nesbitt. While I was making music with the monkeys, a very smart secretary was also coming up with another number one hit, liquid paper correction fluid. That secretary was my mom. That's right, my mom invented liquid paper. Other brands have come and gone, and still liquid paper is number one. So, if you always want to hit the right note, two, three. Right wrongs with liquid paper, it's the one. Great idea, Mom. That's right, right wrongs with liquid paper. Um, and that is exactly what God's forgiveness does for us. It writes wrongs. It, it, it puts the liquid paper, God's divine liquid paper over our sins. He says, yep, you made a mistake, I'm going to white it out. Well, another image is that of washing. Um, in a similar way, we can think of um, sin as an inner defilement, as a stain on our souls. So another way of thinking about God's forgiveness of us is 
that it is like a process of washing and cleansing. And so that's what baptism is the great image of, isn't it? Um, the great image of washing and cleansing. Psalm 51 again says, verse 7, Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. There's the liquid paper image again. I'll be whiter as snow. 51 verse 10 says um, that God's forgiveness gives you a clean heart. And Leviticus 16 verse 30 says that on the day of atonement, you'll be forgiven. And then before the Lord, you'll be clean from all your sins. And Hebrews 9 takes this metaphor and mixes the metaphor with another metaphor and says that um, Jesus' blood purifies us of our sins. These are all images of forgiveness being about washing and cleaning. Since March this year, um, the rigorous and regular washing of hands has become a way of life. We want to remove every last skerrick of COVID-19 from our hands, don't we? We go out maybe to the shops and we come back and we wash our hands with soap and water and uh, maybe we use um, you know anti like some kind of uh, disinfectant um, wash on our hands and um, in the same way we we should long for God to wash away every last skerrick of our sins so that we are not infected with the disease of sin and the good news is that while COVID-19 does not yet have a cure or vaccine, sin does have a cure. And that is Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that God provides via his death on the cross. One more image that I want to show you is that of cancelling. Um, the the, the, listen to Isaiah 40 verse 2. This is about cancelling of debts. It says... Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her hard service has been completed, that her sin has been paid for. There it is, cancelling of debts, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Paul says in Colossians 2, verse 13, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. In a similar way, in 2 Corinthians 5.19, Paul says that when God forgives us, he looks at our sin account and sees what we owe, and he chooses to not count it. Jeremiah 31.34 says God just forgets about it. He says, don't worry, I'm forgetting about it. And Jesus says through the um, parable of the moneylender in our story from Luke 7, that when God cancels our debts, this causes us to love him. In fact, the person who experiences the greatest amount of debt recovery will end up loving God even more. So what is God's forgiveness like? It's spatial because he throws out the sin. It's covering because he blots out the sin. It's washing because he disinfects the sin. And it's cancelling because he pays out the sin. Well, let's look at some more characteristics of God's forgiveness. They're images of God's forgiveness. Now look, let's look at characteristics of God's forgiveness. The Bible tells us that God is not mean. 
He's not short-tempered. He's not finicky. Seven times God is described as merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And our two readings from Luke demonstrate this. In the story of the, uh, the prodigal son, we see God's abounding forgiveness. It is enormous. It is not hard-hearted. His forgiveness is enormous and lavish. It is abounding. In the story, after the son um, hurts the father by asking for his inheritance before his father had died and leaves home and, bringing, and brings shame on the father and the, and the whole family, he squanders the money and realizes he's done the wrong thing. He comes home a mess and asks for forgiveness. And what does the father do? He forgives his wayward son. But he does not just simply accept him back in the home. He runs to embrace him and throws an elaborate party. He kills the fatted calf and puts a ring on his finger and a cloak on his back. God's forgiveness is abundant. It is lavish. It is over the top. In Australia, we're famous for our big attractions. We have... uh, the big banana, which I've been to many years ago. We have the big pineapple, which I've also been to many years ago. And embarrassingly, we all also have the big Ayers Rock Roadhouse, which is a real shocker because it doesn't use the name Uluru. And it's even smaller than the real Ayers Rock. And it's not even in Central Australia. It's in New South Wales. So we shouldn't even mention that one. That's kind of embarrassing isn't it but the point is we love our big things in australia and god's forgiveness is even bigger than the big banana bigger than the big pineapple it's lavish and it's over the top and it's a bit ridiculous how full-on and huge god's forgiveness is he does not simply remove our sin and say okay it's removed he removes it as far as the east is from the west And it's because his love is as large as the heavens are high above the earth. Jesus says in Luke 15 that when one person repents, his love is so enormous, his forgiveness is so huge, that the angels who are in the presence of God get so excited that they rejoice. God's forgiveness is abundant. And it's also tender. It's tender and merciful. We see it in the story of the woman in the alabaster jar in Luke 7. The story tells of the woman who had lived a sinful life, did not feel herself worthy for God, but went to see Jesus who was eating at a Pharisee's house. And she went in there vulnerable, um, nervous, expecting to be rejected and not accepted into the home. And she lavished perfume, expensive perfume, that would have cost her most of her money, she lavished it over, she poured it over his Jesus' feet and wiped her tears over his feet as well with, with her hair. She was so moved by his love. And the Pharisee whose house he was in couldn't understand why Jesus would let her do this because Jesus was supposed to be a holy rabbi and she was a poor sinner. And what are, they, what are the two being in each other's presence for? But Jesus shows mercy on her and forgives her sins. He says, your sins are forgiven. 
your sins are forgiven. And the guests at the dinner party say, who is this who even forgives sins? That is extraordinary. God's love is tender. Even if you've lived a life of shameful sin, he will still offer forgiveness for you if you come to him in humility. Well, we need to think about the results of forgiveness because there are results. There's a flow on effect when God forgives us. And first of all, there is healing. You are healed. Jesus is the great doctor of our souls. In Bible times, they made a big connection between human sinfulness and physical sickness. So we find passages that view the forgiveness of, um, as a process that also uh, includes the healing of bodily diseases. Psalm 103 verse 2 says, Praise the Lord my soul and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases. Isaiah 53 verse 5 famously says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. When Jesus healed the paralyzed man, he said, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. There's a, there's a link there between the healing and the forgiveness. God's forgiveness of our sins mends our wounded heart and restores us back to him. There's also a result of God's forgiveness in, in that it sets us free. We're free from our bondage to sin. Paul tells us in Romans 6 that when we give our lives to Jesus and receive forgiveness of sins, we die with Jesus on the cross. Our old self, Paul says, our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, so that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So God's forgiveness sets us free. We were once enslaved to sin. Forgiveness breaks those chains. Jesus says in Matthew 11, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we're healed, we're freed, and then we're reconciled. That's the third result of God's forgiveness. Um, our, our relationship between us and God is healed, and we're then able to be in a relationship with God. And this we saw depicted most um, vividly in the story of the prodigal son when the father and the son's relationship is healed. The son asks for forgiveness, the father, father lavishly forgives him and they embrace. Romans 5 verse 10 says, Originally we were God's enemies, but Jesus' death enabled forgiveness and reconciled us back to God. We were all that sinful woman with the alabaster jar. And we can all be like her in coming to God for forgiveness. So what are the effects of God's forgiveness? It brings healing, it brings freedom, it brings reconciliation. So why wouldn't you want that for yourself? So what should you do? How do you respond to this statement that we say in the Apostles' Creed, I believe in the forgiveness of sins? You should ask for it. God wants us to take the initiative. We begin as a penitent, it says, a person sorry for our sin, 
who ask God for forgiveness. And God is good and forgiving to all who, turn, who call on him. And so we change from being guilty to being innocent. Our worries are replaced with relief and joy. And we are blessed. In the Apostles' Creed, we say that we believe in the forgiveness of sins. And this means we believe in the desperate need for the human heart to have forgiveness, to have the sin removed. It means we believe in God's decisiveness in getting rid of our sin and throwing it into the depths of the ocean. And it means we believe in the over-the-top, party-throwing, wide-reaching lavishness of God's mercy.